hello and welcome to the Marvelous Summer Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry Murray, and this is my other co-host. Matthew, I'm here as well. I'm still here. Still haven't gone rid of me. And today we're talking about emotional movies in the sense that like kind of like touchstones for both of us that we kind of go back to a lot and kind of like really appreciate and just in general also like kind of the broad topic of why movies are important in general, I guess. Yeah, why uh, are we watch them? Yeah. And do you want to start off with like uh, like a broad sort of like why you think movies are important sort of thing? Yeah, I can do. Okay. So for me, and it'll probably become evident with the film that I'm going to mention, <laughs> a lot of it has to do with a little bit of escapism. Mm-hmm. And it being something something different while it's a, a, a different world with something familiar that we recognise in it as our yeah. anchor point. Yeah. And various and more emotions than you would perhaps initially think are accessible through such means. Mm-hmm. I mean and even the escapism, it doesn't have to be drastic. It can be it can be little things, little things that are still different from everyday life. Yeah. So sort of uh, like putting yourself in different person's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all over the world. Um, and just sort of how films can reach different levels how they can connect with you in different ways Mm. like sometimes it's the writing it's the characters sometimes it's the way something's shot sometimes sometimes it's purely visual yeah it can be music based it can be it's just um it's a never-ending resource in a way yeah there's a lot of levels to like all of it in a sense isn't there Mm, every as soon as you think you've you've seen something, it's easy to think you've seen it all. Yeah, and there's nothing else that can really be thrown at you until mm. it is. Yeah. What so, about you? Um, well, for me, I um, I've always kind of like for the past like five years, like thought of it as like a way of framing life in a sense. So it's kind of a it's kind of like a way to ground how you understand and perceive people around you and life around you and the choices you make and other people make um and I think it's um yeah like you were saying before how it kind of puts you in other people's shoes and it allows you to see different aspects to life that you usually just wouldn't because uh if you try to imagine a world without movies or tv shows or even video games like creative art forms of expressing where you are you are watching or playing or whatever as a character um, your life is very much one viewpoint the entire way through. Um, mm. It's very rare that you get to like step outside yourself and have a a moment of like introspection on yourself through other people. Um, so I always find that an interesting way to view films as a medium that just allow you to, like I said before, like frame life. And I think all oh, people are shocked, like not shocked, but like kind of like put off when I say that uh, as, like, as a person like as a as a film person and like my defining characteristic because I like movies <laughs> um, um, I people always go like a bit weird whenever I say that I I don't think movies are the most important thing in the world because I think that movies are an important part of life and the world and how we see see it but I do think it's it's not everything it's a way of looking looking at life um mm. And I think it helps massively because there is more to life. There is anything outside of movies and there is 
I think movies are a way of like looking, looking through and like having different, like an out of body experience in that sense. Um, and I do think on the other side of it, of uh, this creating movies on the production side of it, mm-hmm. it's also like, I think it's probably the most like commu- communal sort of like everything that everyone does is important towards the, the final product. Yeah. Um, so it isn't just the music of one man or the vision of one person or the whatever it is. It's all that combined, and there's a group of people coming together to to it, put on their take on a on a particular story and a particular person. Um, it's like a group of people that can be united through what this film is trying to say. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like trying to. It's also like a good way of like finding out about yourself if you've say you've, you're a director or a writer and you've had an idea and from that idea you've created a script or create a storyboard vision of like this story and where it's going and you bring more people into it and then they can ask questions that you would never even dream to think of mm. and that just changes it all the way through until it becomes a an amalgamation of what the way people like again frame life um i do find that very interesting yeah, mm. yeah. so do you want to start with like an example oh I, I don't know i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to let you go first. Uh, okay. I'm going to deflect responsibility <laughs> for opening this onto you. Tenants at back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, I, yeah. So, in real life, I, everyone that I know, at some point, if you know me for like longer than a week, at some point, <laughs> you'll know that I love Spider Man 2, the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire movie. Yeah. Um, so, but I realise that I kind of forget that on a podcast. There's a lot of people that are listening that don't actually know me. <laughs> so mm, I as, forget. As as somebody who has known you for more than a week, I can verify that statement. <laughs> yeah, it comes up at some point. Um, so I kind of wanted to like just like because I usually usually I always say I love the movie and I kind of give like a simple one sentence explanation and I kind of score past it because it's just like a deep thing for me. Um, those three movies, but specifically the second one. Um, so I thought I'd just get it all out in one episode at the very beginning <laughs> and let's <laughs> go through it. Um, yeah, so, okay, Spider-Man Trilogy came out 2002 and it ended in 2007. So obviously those are pretty um, impressionable years for young, like, two-year-old Henry to seven-year-old Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so everything about those movies like, is, like, imprinted into my mind. Um, so I can like if I was watching it, I could literally like, click my fingers when a scene is going to cut to a different scene. I can like <laughs> it's like I just know it that well. Um, and I do, but I do think that above this like nostalgia factor, there is also like a and a, a kind of like a deep sort of I don't know like a like moral sort of like building that that those movies kind of gave me. Um, and I do think like I was saying before, how it frames life. Um, through like a bombastic, bombastic superhero adventure where people, I imagine at the time, walked in thinking, cool, a Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie where I finally get a scene swinging. And then they are probably surprised by the fact that it was, there's like, it takes like an hour for them to get into the suit. And before that, it's just a, it's like a kid's journey at home and school and that's it really. Um, and I do, I do love the, the way in broad speaking terms, how that trilogy defines responsibility and how that first movie kind of, it examines and sets up the core, like, morality of the character of Peter Parker, who I think 
I always want to make this clear whenever I talk about this character because um, I think people assume that it's it, Spider-Man 2 is my favourite movie because I love Spider-Man and it's the, my favourite Spider-Man movie. It's not really that. It's more just like I just really like this version of that character who, yes, I do love in general. But this film, if you take out the Spider-Man aspect, I still love it. I adore it as a film. And mm. you just replace the, I don't know, superhero kind of scenes with just not that I would still probably love it just as much um so it's but yeah that first film really establishes like responsibility and the idea that it is being a good person and this in general just being a good person is like a curse and a gift um and it's like kind of emphasized in that last little speech he gives um and I think what a great job a great job that happens in the next two movies especially two is that it examines its Responsibility is a curse, and then responsibility is a gift in the following two movies very well. Specifically, Spider-Man 2, I think, um, goes really hard into the idea that it's a curse. So I would say the entire kind of theme, if you're going to put it into one sentence, was like the idea that, or Spider-Man 2, is that the idea that um, just because you have wants, you want to be with this person, or you want to be the best at your job, or you want to do this and that, it doesn't mean you should sacrifice your good nature, your like core being a good person. Um, so like there's a line at the very end and spoken by Aunt May and um, Peter Parker, and he essentially says that um, we um, being a good person essentially it means that you can you have to give up even the things you want the most, including your dreams. Yeah. Um, if it if it um, if it kind of ruins your moral fiber in a sense. Um, so I think that's the core element of that. And I think, I think it just handles that entire thing beautifully. And that handles obviously a lot of Sam Raimi, like great camera movements and Spider-Man action and all that. But it is fundamentally just a, a great movie and a great character drama, I would say overall. Um, and then Spider-Man 3 goes on to, in a yes, a more messy way because studio interference caused a lot of villains being put in just for the sense of getting the audience to be excited for it as the final chapter. Um, but I do think it really examines the idea that being a good person can also be a gift. It can also bring you great things, can great bring you popularity and success as well as the moral fiber. But that can get compromised through those gifts. Um, because then Spider-Man 3, the villain, it's weird because I, I should hate it in a lot of ways in the sense that it takes the most lovable, empathetic character in Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker, and turns him into the main villain in the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> Venom, yeah, he's a bad guy, and the Sandman, he's got so many problems, and it's not really his fault he's a bad guy. And Harry Osborn, he has a lot of lot of bad stuff with his dad. third movie... Um, Peter Parker, just is, he is the villain. There's no doubt about that. Before the black suit, even, he is the villain. His hubris and ego is going too far. Like, he believes himself as a good person and he deserves everything he's getting so much that it overtakes his just basic sense of right and wrong. And it's, mm-hmm. he becomes a selfless person. And I think that it's, it's so simple. It's such a simple line to end on because I think it's the last line ever spoken in that trilogy. But, um, Essentially, just like we always have the choice to do what's right, and it, and I do think that's a very powerful, very simple last statement for those three movies to make. Of mm-hmm. it just comes down to you've got a choice to make. It may seem that you can do a whole list of pros and cons for each side, but the right one is usually the most clear in terms of just being a good person. Um, 
And I do think that it's because it obviously came out during that time of my life where I was very just taken away with anything that I was shown. Like, I, I loved the first Transformers movie when it came out. <laughs> I think. Um, so obviously, I loved anything. But I do feel like I was very much built up from those movies um, in the sense that they taught me a lot. And I still I still get emotional watching those movies and thinking about those movies. And I kind of carry that into everything. I try, I try to, anyway, um, in anything I do. And I think that's a great example of just movies that just not just frame your life but like kind of build you and like almost like a like a third parent in a way sort of thing hmm. um, sort of just teach you things in a way that you don't even realize you're being taught anything until you're 20 years old and you're like oh <laughs> life's hard <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's kind of all out of state of that in a sense <laughs> hmm. i certainly agree with you mm-hmm. with how yeah. prominent the message of those films are yeah, and I'm sure it's something we'll talk about at other points in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's that what makes certain what certain films have meaning, particularly comic book films, superhero films, but also action films. Yeah, and what you wouldn't necessarily associate with having a such a personal message. Yeah. What makes the good ones good is the personal message. Yeah, you can. I do think you can easily, even if you don't not aware of it, as like you just go into a film to see a film, not really bothered about whether it's good or not. I do think you can easily discern whether a movie is going to stay with you or not. Because um, sometimes you come out of a movie and you think that was that was a fun movie, and usually, usually that's what that means is essentially it was, it was fun, it was brisk, it was. It wasn't boring. The characters were very like t- fun to talk. Like um, they had very fun dialogue, but mm-hmm. you don't come away thinking I need to watch that again and have this go into it a bit more and try see what it was saying. Um, so I do think that um, there's a lot of movies out there that are great movies that have a lot to say that get Oscars and all that. But I do think there's another side to it where there are great movies all around that are not respected in that way that have something to say that is mm. very deep and is told throughout the entire story even if you're not aware of it, aware of it. but usually are you able to turn between fun and generally like great storytelling yeah mm. yes well said <laughs> thanks <laughs> and that that sort of bleeds into what um my first thing i can't really say film it's because it's a big thing yeah but um if if you're if you're done with Spider-Man, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was going to say because when when we first decided we were going to do this this topic, mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't quite sure which films to go for, mm-hmm. and I talk a lot about Star Wars and Marvel, yeah, on the podcast, but also in general, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, like like you with Star Wars, and mm-hmm. sorry with the see, it's on my mind. It's all on my mind. So what I meant was, uh, like you said with Spider-Man, it's something that's sort of obvious with me, Mm -hmm. but maybe not so on the podcast, and maybe not so to the degree of why I like them, and why I talk about them so much. The why behind it all. Yeah, so I thought this was the perfect opportunity, in essence, to talk about, I'm banding Star Wars and Marvel together, Okay. mainly... Mainly because, not because they're the 
same anyway. Mm. But because in equal measure, they inform a great deal of my interest in film. Right, yeah. And I know that's for people who study film and they're all into the Martin Scorsese and <laughs> Ken Loach. Yeah. Who, yes, I, I am aware of the names of before people come at me. but for me what formed the basis of my interest and affection towards film are these films because they are the ones that stuck with me from a young age Mm -hmm. like um i think we were coming back from a holiday i think i can't remember the details Mm -hmm. but um and we Stopped off at HMV or in HMV, and my parents bought me the original trilogy of Star Wars. Right, yeah. Four, five, and six. My yeah. dad never seen them. Okay. I would never seen them. Um, oh. But because because my dad's sort of a purist, where we're going to watch what was made first. <laughs> right. Um, they bought me the original trilogy, the DVDs that I still have today. Oh, okay. And they will attest to this. I watched them on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe at the time I didn't understand why. Yeah. And sort of Marvel, the MCU came later in the first one was in 2008. Yeah. And it built up and that formed quite a significant sort of backdrop. Yeah. As as I grew up. I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up at the time of Star Wars, but I still grew up with it. Yeah. Because watched it a lot (laughs) and when when people sort of criticize it and say that it's it's got no meaning or it's just a a roller coaster or whatever whatever Martin Scorsese said was it (laughs) called a theme park theme park yeah and 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 well at some point there was there was a point when all this sort of did get to me a bit and my maybe my support for the Marvel films did waver a little bit, but then I did remember why I liked them and that sort of brought me back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, like I said before, it's about escapism and it's something different. But it's also, for Star Wars, it's that simple sense of wanting to go on an adventure. Mm, yeah. And having, as you go on the, this adventure, having, having almost being on a narrow path yeah. Either side, you have you have two sides of um, tearing it. You have the good side and the bad, the light mm-hmm. and the dark. Yeah. And obviously, later as stars come to be developed, there are notions of of being grey, being in the middle, mm-hmm. being neither neither direction all out. But mm-hmm. I think at the core of it was going on this adventure. And ultimately choosing to do the right thing. Yeah. I'd be tempted by the wrong, mm-hmm. but it's choosing to do the right thing. Yeah. And yeah. that, yeah. That's would you the... say like a similar thing of like, because you were, not because you were so young, cause I think it would affect you the same now, but would you say that it definitely built up like a, a moral fibre from an early age? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. If you, you, you knew that, you know, Emperor Palpatine's evil, so don't do evil things. <laughs> to boil it down to what a kid's perspective would be. Yeah. Um, like I think, especially the first Star Wars, 
the very first one, I think it has a lot of, it, it's a pretty good example of just like, it is essentially a story about a young person growing up and it's just blown up to this, this proportion of a Star Destroyer, you know? Because um, <laughs> we've all, we've all like had that, like a, a childhood or being a teenager, young adult, where you just feel like your life somehow so early on has already ended. It's already just, you're stuck on this desert planet and like you got nothing to live like nothing going forward um mm. the steps you take forward in life are not dissimilar to the ones that luke takes in the sense that he goes away from home he meets a mentor he he finds out there's a big bad guy that somehow even though you never think there could be there is a guy that this is just wants to be bad and um and that's like kind of surprising the way life does work there are people out there that are this bad for seemingly no reason um and there is like a, a very it's a very simple nature of the first film essentially but in the sequels of course they go into the more gray area and it sort of parallels how people grow up in a sense um, mm. you feel like there's nothing left and you find there's so much left and then all of a sudden there's such gray area the bad guys actually got a sympathetic backstory <laughs> uh, you, you can probably change you've got a dark side uh, they didn't know about and this is like there's a lot of different is this essentially? Is essentially life just put into space and light shows and different stuff like that? Um, and it's just a again, I keep on saying it, but I do think it's fundamental to all of cinema, whether it's Martin Scorsese or George Lucas. It is framing life in a different lens. Yeah, and it's there. It's there with the Marvel things as well. I know most of the criticism, especially from Scorsese, was leveled at the Marvel films. Yeah. And it's easy to say that, well, they're comic book adaptations. They're adaptations of colourful strips of people blowing things up and people doing cool things. Yeah. And you could see that. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate you if you see it that way. But that's not what they are. <laughs> well, yeah. yes, they are. They are colourful films in some of them, and some of them they they might not get it right completely. Yeah. There might be something missing. Yeah, but there's always that core element of if there's something in there. Yeah, particularly you have you have it with you have it with the characters, Mm -hmm. and they undergo journeys that aren't too dissimilar from our own. Yeah, like Captain America being the main one, similar in a way to what you said with Spider Man. It's about a good person choosing to do what is good, Mm -hmm. and learning the responsibility of that and learning what that means in a complicated world as you go into the later Captain America films. Yeah. And that sense of always clinging to the good and the right decision and the people and the people that you have a connection with. But also yeah. one film in, in one film specifically that it's not it's not any of the Avengers while this is true for the Avengers they don't want to discredit that but mm-hmm. the one film that i think might exemplify this best is probably the guardians of the galaxy film right. in that i watched it obviously i watched it at the time mm-hmm. and i loved it i thought it was great it's great it's about people coming together it's a great connection but as i've watched it more since and as i've got a little bit older mm-hmm. my appreciation for it has grown because i understand it more yeah, definitely. I understand that it's a bunch of broken people coming together because they have to, mm-hmm. and it's it's not. Yeah, they have to save Zandar and they have to stop Ronan. Mm-hmm. It's about 
they have to come together to survive because if they don't, yeah, they'll fall off the edge of a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) And it's sort of, I never, when I first saw it, I didn't quite understand the significance of the opening scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, Quill's mother, and then it comes back at the end, Mm. and it's just a perfect way to round off his character. It's because he he's the way he is and he's the flawed person that he is because mm. of what he because he didn't take his, his mother's hand. Yeah, yeah definitely. Doesn't he yeah. closes himself down from other people. And the reason he survives at the end is because he opens himself up opens himself up again. Yeah. And he shares his pain. I think they yeah. all do in the end. Um Rocket learns to accept himself a bit more of his family. Um Drax, he like becomes less of a a vengeful sort of murdering machine and like decides to actually like be in a part of a group as a family and Gamora again goes against her like biological father just to have like a group of friends that actually care about her um which again not dissimilar from real life that you kind of experience there's a lot of people out there that have biological connections with family who are not good people and hate them and they can find community and friendship and love in friends Mm, I think that's a that's a wider thing you can also see with the Avengers as well. Yeah, definitely. Particularly as Black Widow explains in Endgame. Mm-hmm. And then also with the Guardians you have in the sequel, again, something I didn't quite understand at the time, but you have when when they're at the funeral mm-hmm. uh, for, for spoilers, when they're <laughs> at the funeral for Yondu in the second one, Yeah. and Rocket, um, Rocket says, I can't remember the exact quote, but he says... Because all the ravages arrive, and he says they came, hmm. even though he stole the batteries and yeah, he did whatever. As he looks at Quill and he describes himself, and that's just mm-hmm. the antithesis of what those films are. Yeah, it's what they are, mm-hmm. and that's my piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I I do think that in a in a in a sense, I think because. In terms of like blockbusters and especially superhero movies that are generally about achieving um, a moral goodness, I think it's it's usually a very simple goal. I think everyone can relate to it. I feel like everyone goes through it in everyday life. Therefore, the struggle of getting there, it seems like everyone that goes to cinema that sees it understands it. Whereas you go to more art films, it can be un- you can be unsure or unclear what the end goal is and what the the end sort of character arcs are going to be, what the meaning is going to be. Um, so I do think that going into a blockbuster like Marvel or Star Wars, you kind of get a sense of, you know, not maybe not where it's heading, but what they're all trying to achieve. And it's sort of, it seems simple, but it's it's not. Because like you understand the idea that everyone wants to be a better person and you're going to see a movie where everyone becomes a better person. But it's the way that, it's the way that they get there. And it's the way that a film can just go really deep into the characters and at the same time say like boom booms explosion in the background <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, having those good action sequences that appeal to people as well and yeah. i think one statistic i'm not going to quote it here so it might be a little bit off mm-hmm. but one stati- statistic that proves how how much of a connection there is to the marvel films is that marvel with spider-man with spider-man far from home even yeah it was the 23rd film mm-hmm. in the cinematic universe, and they're still going. 
the fact is that when they reach that point, because I'm pretty sure Far From Home cost a billion dollars. Right, okay. You had the point where I think it's uh, four of the more, more most recent five MCU films mm-hmm. have all grossed over a billion, which means essentially that people have gone to see them. Yeah. And people have seen them a lot. People have seen them twice. Yeah. And to have that volume of people still going to see them, still loving it, after mm-hmm. 23 films. Yeah, that's a is lot. incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> a testament to how deeply people are connected to these characters. Because it it could be, be surface level, but if there are films that are surface level and they try to build a franchise, mm-hmm. they they struggle when they reach six. <laughs> they do, you know? yeah. Transformers, I mean, well, they are on, they're on six, and that's yeah, that's then, dying. Yeah, that's going away. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Terminator, Predator, even Alien, mm-hmm. they 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 haven't even approached double figures. No, no, and they're still like trying every other year to just like get one that's good. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, I do think the groundwork in that is essentially the fact that. Before they do their their big sort of like um, definitely going to get um, definitely going to get a billion dollars like sort of movies like Avengers is they make origin movies mm-hmm. and I think over time people have become people often say that they're sick of the origin superhero origin movie um, and say that we've seen it a uh, hundred times but if you take away the origin stories and the even the sequels to origin stories before you get to the big event movies like Avengers, you you're not you don't really you're not really connected to, to their world. You are just watching the big things that happen in their world. Um, so when you see Doctor Strange in coming up in, in Avengers or for Ragnarok, you go, Oh, I know his entire story. I know what he's mm. like, I know what he's came through, I know how he's changed, I know that he has a, a nurse sort of girlfriend that he has a sort of on and off relationship with. You understand their world beyond what you're seeing at that time in a, a big Avengers battle movie. Um, so, in that sense, you always want to see what's going to happen because you know that this is going to fundament- fundamentally change um, their movies and their stories going forward. Um, mm. And I, th- I think because that they've connected you to each, or not maybe not all of them, but like at least as many as they possibly could be thought before they get to their event movies um, to make you generally like generally like want to see where those characters go um which is rare to get from a studio they just want to get to the big one or make a make a three-part trilogy at the same time and just put out there and hope that everyone likes it you know um which rarely works and it doesn't is foundationed in character work at all usually um yeah yeah i think that rounds that off (laughs) (laughs) right yeah yeah uh, You've got another one. Um, okay. Um, I keep on looking for these things, thinking about which one to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk about La La Land for a bit. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So, La La Land was quite a popular film in 2016, I think. Um, especially popular because of the Oscar controversy, <laughs> <laughs> which was still to this day hilarious. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I remember 
again, it, it's kind of a, it's a touchstone for me because I remember it came at a very, I don't want to say difficult because I've had a very easy life in general, but like at a, a somewhat low point of like exam pressure, uh, a recent breakup um, and stuff like that. And it was a, a movie that was, it was like, it was like a movie in my head that I've always wanted to have. <laughs> either make or either just kind of just think about whenever I, I can and it was like watching a movie that I've already had ideas for for 20 years like put on the screen mm-hmm. um and I, when I watched it I was I was just amazed by how it was to me at least it was just perfect it was it was colorful it was at the right times it was it was a love letter to LA and Hollywood and all that but it also wasn't afraid to criticize it and the idea of success and dreams and a similar yeah once again i guess similar everyone theme here is spider-man 2 the sacrificing dreams for success or love um the idea that those two are constantly at war with, war with you the idea mm-hmm. of being the more successful or being like having love or whatever in your life sort of like connections um and that movie for that entire runtime, obviously, it kind of examines that. There are two characters that want to be the more the more successful. Emma Stone's character wants to be the, the big headline actor, actress, and Ryan Gosling's character wants to be the sort of jazz famous magician. Uh, musician. Um, and these two people love each other dearly, as in, like, this is a love story that will like last forever. These people, no matter what happens, will love each other till the day they die. And it's a lovely, heartwarming, incredibly well-made, directed, scored, um, just like looking and it's all it's all great. <laughs> um, and I and I think it examines that so well because it it yeah again with Damien Chazelle with his previous movie Whiplash, he keeps on questioning the idea of what's what's what do you favor most, love or success? Um, because it's very rare in life, I guess, <laughs> that they come together. Um, mm. And I do think it has one of the, one of the all-time just great endings of just it's a, it's a very non-realistic um, ending in the sense that you get this an alternate reality where from the get-go Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone fall in love and they don't waste any time like they did in the past few hours and just get to loving each other, having a child, getting married and it's this long like 10 minute long almost one take um, dancing montage and it's set like under the starry night and it's so great and it's so soul crushing when you cut to the actual reality where they are both chosen um success over mm-hmm. their sort of unusual amount of genuine like love for each other and it's so it's heartbreaking but at the same time they both did get what they wanted the ryan gosling is a famous jazz musician and he isn't isn't he's not getting compromised by studios or anything like that he's doing his own thing and he's popular and he's he's being able to do what he wants emma stone actress he's a big headline actress and even she's even married has kids he's had love in her life after ryan gosling um but i do think it's just it's heartbreaking it like it really is and it's it's a real bittersweet ending yes it's it's like it isn't just a rom-com with musical numbers it is a genuine examination of like romance, life, love, success, jobs, um, and different passions in life, and how they conflict, and how it's again, it's all down to choice. I always think that in movies in general, it's very rare that I haven't seen that the core element that is talking about is just choice. It's always up to you, usually, mm-hmm. and it's always the choice you make that defines life going forward. And even the little ones are will surprise you how big they are in how they just 
define you going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that came in a somewhat tough time in my life, and I just thought it was just wonderful to see something so so like inspire. Honestly, it was mostly just inspiring for me to see something that was in my head on screen. Um, even though I was kind of jealous that I didn't get to make it, <laughs> some guy kind of like beat me to it. Um, but yeah. It was great. I lo- I just love that movie so much, and I very rarely watch it because I know each time I watch it, I'm going to have like my heart ripped out. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, it's one of those. It's one of the touchstones where I always go back to and just think about how much I love this this creative medium of film and how I, I love how it just um, looks at life in a sense. Yeah, and it's everything cinema and film should be. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. I remember feeling very similar, maybe not to the same degree, but I feel very similar about the film. It's a beautiful film, mm-hmm. uh, both both sort of on the emotional side, but also visually. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of imagery and there's a lot of, not just colour for the sake of colour, but yeah. meaningful colour, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it presents a very, it's, you know, like, I think people use this term a lot, and I do understand when you use it, because it, I just I don't know how to describe it, but technicolor. You know mm-hmm. when you're seeing a technicolor film, where it just feels like every color is like so vibrant, but it doesn't feel like like garish or anything like that. It just feels mm-hmm. like it's natural and it's just it pops and it's it's so it is it's wonderful to see like a film just be constantly that gorgeous to look at and at times um, really it's kind of like heartbreaking to see these characters in this amazing setting and this amazing wonderful life that they have and then to decide not to have like be with each other in that world where they could have mm. easily done um but yeah it's it's like on the side of like it's sort of it's realistic it's grounded and complete another character and relationships but at the same time you can have a, a dream montage or a musical number and it just works completely well um, and I think that's the power of film as a medium. It can be so um, so real. It can be like so grounded in what you deal with every day, every every in your in your past, in your future, right now maybe. Um, but at the same time, it can also then be a musical. Yeah, <laughs> and it completely works. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a it's a way of making those emotions stronger by just making it like kind of like sizing it up <laughs> to like a. A big experience on the on the screen. Um, mm. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> right. Do you have another choice? I do. Okay. It's another one I've talked about a lot, but I feel like I've never really talked about why, other than the odd sentence. Yeah. And that is both Blade Runner films. Oh, okay. So, in a way, in in films, obviously carry emotion. Mm-hmm. But what Blade Runner? And also its sequel. I probably just prefer the sequel. Same. I do as I well. Think, I think the sequel's a perfect film. Yeah. I, I don't make I don't say that lightly. <laughs> um I I just think that it, it, it encapsulates perhaps a classic debate of sci fi. Mm-hmm. Something that's it's addressed in various other uh, science fiction films, TV shows, properties, anything. And it's the idea of what is a humanity. Yeah. Um, the first Blade Runner is based on a novel by Philip K. Dick called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And Philip K. Dick is one of the he's one of the main authors when you think of this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That philosoph- philosophical 
in in novels and short stories that philosophical debate of what it means to be human and can you create humanity through artificial intelligence i have actually even read the book that's how much <laughs> i'm invested <laughs> in this <laughs> um and it's just it tackles the idea of what it means as i think i've repeated myself now for about four times in the space of a minute but the idea of are the replicants of human do they deserve to live are they right to want to escape mm-hmm. and in both films you have in, in the first blade when it comes much later it comes pretty much right at the end but um and it comes earlier on in the in the sequel but it's about the main character make the choice mm-hmm. and chooses to help help it uh, chooses to to quote train spotting chooses life <laughs> yeah. not necessarily their own mm-hmm. but chooses not to believe what other people tell them yeah not to believe what science may tell them yeah but to believe what what uh, I don't know how to word this. What they're emotionally told. Yeah. What, what they feel. What they feel is right. So, so. Mm. Yeah. And what they, because the uh, after the, the the final scene in in the first one, where Roy Batty pulls Deckard up, saves him. I think the tears in rain speech is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I think that is... It's not just somebody acting. It's not just somebody saying words. It's it's also the visuals of it. Oh, yeah. It's a man in the rain, slowly having life slowly draining him, providing his final thoughts on life and what his life is and what he has come to be. Yeah. And it's almost like a warning for Descartes. Yeah. In that he he's spent all this time chasing uh, Roy Batty mm-hmm. when he himself could have been seeing the things that he's talking about. And he could have, Roy Batty could also have been seeing more things and making the most of his time. Yeah. Yet they've both sort of become embroiled in this this idea that they're just robots. Going through the motions, mm. yeah. And if, and it's sort of it's built on the second one where um, Ryan Gosling's character is a replicant, thinks mm. he isn't a replicant, but then is a replicant. Yeah. By the end, <laughs> yeah. and it's that choice of they they choose to be human. Yeah. And they choose the side of humanity and as well. They're just they're just beautiful films. Oh yeah. yeah. You can just you can just sit there and you can have no complaints and mm. you just watch things happen. Even if you don't like the emotional side, surely you can appreciate that some pretty beautiful stuff's happening. Oh yeah. It's like the best one is like for like being coming out in like nineteen eighty I can't remember what year it came out. Eighty two, uh, I think. Eighty two. It's like it's amazing how that film was constantly visually in like impressive the entire way through and more so than like most films made now and going forward i think the sequel does a great job of like making that world even bigger 
Um, in the first one, you, you don't really go outside of the big city, but in the second one, you go to actual like natural natural environment and see what it's like. Mm. And it expands that world again, but it, it also doesn't lose the core element of what made that world look great, even though it was probably a hell of a living. <laughs> but, yeah. It's it, it, it's, yeah. And it, it's also got one of the things that... Um... But you also see in a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan films mm-hmm. is that a lot of the answers aren't on a plate for you. Yeah. Much like the characters have to make a decision and come to their own conclusions about what a human is and what a person is, mm-hmm. you have to come to your own conclusions about certain things. Yeah. Like one of the one of the main questions after the first Blade Runner mm-hmm. is is Descartes a replicant? And it's a big question that you have going into the sequel yeah. and there's, there's there's a scene with Jared Leto's character where he says he says he he says something that implies that Descartes is a replicant yeah and there's a moment where they both pause and then he just says or oh, maybe not <laughs> yeah and it, it doesn't answer whether replicant whether whether, whether replicant is a Descartes no whether Descartes is a replicant <laughs> yeah and it doesn't answer that because a it's up to you to make your own mind up and mm-hmm. b it doesn't matter yeah that's true and yeah. that's the point yeah we talked about this last week a bit how ambiguity especially in endings of movies is usually if not almost always misunderstood as being a question that you have you have to answer um Whereas usually it usually is the idea that ambiguity is, is the point. It is the mm. actual answer in itself. Um, the ambiguity of whether he's a replicant or a human being is what the entire two films are connect, connected by in the sense that it didn't matter that he was a replicant or that he was a human. He lived life and he fell in love with this girl and there was this whole, this whole like life he, he had in between those movies and it was all because he chose to have that life. Um, replicant or human didn't really matter. Yeah, that's yeah, just why why I consider that to have such a high high level, high position. Yeah, I I think it's interesting having. Um, I don't know where I heard it from. I think it might have been some sort of like YouTube like class on like how to do exposition <laughs> in movies. But um, uh, it was the idea that instead of giving the audience four, um, just give them two plus two and let them then work it out. Um, and I think that's something you you should do in. Not just like not just the big questions of um, is Deckard a replicant or not, but in general, I think in in movies you should present a question and let the audience answer it and answer it. So maybe you can answer it in your own movie, but don't. Mm. It's the definitive real answer. And I'm not talking mm. plot points in the sense of is the twist this thing or is it not. I mean, especially in the meaning. Um, so I I I mean going back to like Spider-Man Two, I could get my meaning from it. And I put all the twos plus twos together of every scene and every beat and every emotion and tried to figure mm-hmm. it out, like put a meaning into it for me. But another person yeah. and put three and four together and understand that it's completely different to what I understand to, it to be. And again, another a sort of broader topic um, that we can pull from is the idea that movies are a conversation in a way. They're not... Yeah. I feel like you can often feel when a movie's preaching to you and just telling you what to think. And it happens it happens sometimes, I would say rarely, but when it does, you feel like this is like a very... It's, a, it's an angry film, in a sense, because it feels like you're not having a conversation, you're just getting talked at. 
Um, so I, I do think movies in general should aim for the like two plus two. Like, also, having the ambiguity, yeah, it and enabling people to make their own minds up and deduce from what they've seen and what they believe they've seen, it enables each person to have a personal response to it. Mm. It allows it to be special, yeah, to to, to individual people. Yeah, um, and I think if um, people watched the movie and they all came out thinking the same thing, or not even just is it good or bad, it's more like the idea of thinking the same thing of what it was about, it would be a fairly boring thing to <laughs> experience in general. Um, you could you could like read a review and, and go understand the movie from that and just move on with your life. Um, it wouldn't really matter the individual experience. Um, yeah. Hmm. Do you want to move on? Yeah, we can do. Um, do you have another one? Um, okay, so uh, I want to talk about Jojo Rabbit for a bit. Okay, yeah. Have you seen this movie? I have, yes. Yeah. Do you like it? <laughs> um, oh. I think I do. <laughs> I think I would okay. say that I do. I don't think it's Tt's best film. Mm, okay. But I do still like certain parts of it. Right. Um, in terms of Taika Waititi, I think it's I think it is my favorite of his films. Yeah. Yeah, I adore this movie a lot, um, and I think it it has that that Taika Waititi sort of I don't want I don't want to say gimmick. I want to I kind of like a a thing he often goes back to in terms of how he makes movies of combining drama and comedy together to make something that represents both in its purest form. Um, so I think you can watch a comedy movie or and really like it and think, kind of come away with it thinking that perspective on life is the idea that life is always funny or something like that. Um, or you can watch a drama and think it's always sort of full of conflict and sort of um, really bad circumstances or something like that. Um, and I think the idea of putting those two together, which he often does, is a great way of this saying that it is not, like, life is not this one thing happens and that defines your entire life and you go forward in this sort of tone you know you don't go through life and you depending on who you are you are either in a comedy life or in a drama life um and i think he i think it's probably his best example is georgia rabbit of it's half comedy but it's also about the nazi youth <laughs> and it's also it slowly and slowly becomes more and more depressing in a way and it's again not even just like in tone but also your viewpoint i mean also as an audience you come into it knowing nazi's bad <laughs> um mm. unless you're a crazy person um and you go through it and you kind of have that perspective um but again different person, different person's shoes being in this child's um this child's viewpoint where he's grown up in Nazi germany where he's being told what they think by grown-ups who are more author- authoritative than him um and he believes it you kind of have you kind of go through his perspective his entire shift from thinking that people are below him because they're not blonde hair blue eyes whatever it may be um sort of idea and that throughout the entire movie sort of changes to the point where by the end of the movie he is he's not only equal thinks himself equal to another person that he used to hate he also was in love with this person mm. um and i think that's a beautiful sort of it's a beautiful sort of message that it's very heartwarming but also not like not like in your face sort of watch a movie have fun of it and leave it's like a heartwarming but has a real sort of edge to it where in real life we do it all the time where we assume not in a racist way but we always like might meet someone 
and not like their personality and, and then go, well, I don't need to talk to them ever again and all that. We always have that sort of edge to ourselves. We were kind of self-contained unless we can, unless the people are similar to us in a way. Um, mm. And I think having this sort of comedy drama where it's this sort of sifting viewpoint um, from the one opposite to the other opposite of this acceptance in general um, is is really a powerful sort of message. And I think that that movie having, especially the ending of it, where the war is finally on Germany's uh, doorstep and this town that he, this kid's been living in is coming to an end and he's by himself. His mother has died. His only parent has died. He is by himself. Um, and it's up to him to become the parent. There's a great little... Um, there's a great little visual moment where at the beginning of the film, his mother ties his shoes before he goes out into the world for the first time in the movie. And at the end of the movie, he goes down to tie the, the, the girl's shoes before she goes out into the world. And it's a very simple way of this telling the audience that this kid over the course of the last two hours has grown up with someone that hates people because of their skin color or uh, beliefs. Someone who is now fully in love, in love with this person who is mm-hmm. off the opposite beliefs and anything like that and had become not it's become a, a parent in a sense and not as a a child who follows the orders of people that are bigger than him he is he is more of a a, a fully rounded human being than most people we've seen in this movie <laughs> because of yeah. um and i think taiko Tito does that um amazingly in most of his films i mean i haven't i haven't seen some of the, i haven't seen shark versus eagle i think that's one of his films um I've seen Boy, Four Ragnarok, and um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Wilder People. Mm-hmm. And again, those are very similar films of this combining drama and comedy to make something that is very representative of life. It's not often that you are in a situation where you're thinking, oh, I'm in the drama now. <laughs> you yeah. are often halfway through between this and that, and it's always confusing which way you are. Um, and I think this is, it handles that tone and those viewpoints and those characters beautifully, and I think George Roberts is the best example of that. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I do, I, I do, really, really love the way that he just balances things. Oh, yeah. I, so as as I as I watched films, I do now believe that perhaps the best way to show characters is to show them in their best moments, or their most most humorous moments, or the most where they're happy or they're having a laugh. Mm-hmm. But also to show them as well in perhaps one of their lowest moments. Yeah, and that's always something you get in a Taika Waititi film. Always, yeah. Definitely. You you get it in Hunt for the World of People when the adoptive mother dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Then you have the happiness of him in his own world mm-hmm. as he's running through the forest. Yeah. And then it also teaches you teaches him the the, the seriousness of the situation. Mm-hmm conflicting with his enthusiasm to just escape yeah um and i often think that movies often make the it's usually i wouldn't say it's always but it's almost like a rule in it in the sense that if you don't see what people are at their at their best um you don't really know what you're fighting for mm. um, so sometimes imagine okay just kind of like an idea imagine a group of people who are friends and the entire movie is based around them arguing and having conflict if at, at the beginning or at some point you don't show them at their best, at their most, um, at their most um, togetherness, at their like height of happiness and succeeding at um, doing something and making an impact, a positive impact, you don't really know why you're fighting for anything. These are just people that are 
um, sort of always in conflict. And why would you want to like save that conflict from happening if you're fighting for nothing? Um, and I think often films make that mistake sometimes. And I, I think Taika Waititi, because of his comedy and drama, can make it a movie where the height is always extremely high because not only do you see a character be happy, but usually it's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're, you are enjoying it. You are at a high. Um, and I think when by the time it gets to the drama and the the low points, you really feel it because you've just experienced a really high sort of experience of laughter and joy and um, camaraderie. And then you go into this place where it's all been taken away. And you because it's just a fresh emotion, you feel a lot of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'd agree. Yeah. You got another thought? I do. I don't think there's a uh, a long one because this little, this little, my little next bit, mainly because this bit is talked about quite a lot. But, <laughs> okay. um, Toy Story. Ah, Toy Story. <laughs> mainly three and four. Okay. Although you could apply, mainly because they are the two that perhaps stick out in my mind as my two favourites of, of the four. I think that's the same for me as well. But, Especially for three, mainly for three. Oh, three. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, mainly how you can craft a film, an animated film, mm-hmm. that's basically for kids. Yeah. Yet is meaningful for adults. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you don't expect it to be, and it's perhaps more meaningful for the adults than it is for the kids. Yeah, probably. Definitely. Because... Kids will run around with the Woody, with the the, the toys for the Woody all the buzz. Yeah, it's always like, like for me, whenever I talk about Toy Story three, in my head it's always greeted with, oh no, <laughs> the ending. Yeah, the ending. Um, and it's just sort of because they're obviously they're about a lot of them, particularly the fourth one. About sort of parenthood and letting kids go. Yeah. But also what... It's also because it's there for parents and it's about the kids. But also, it's, it's I'm, I'm not a parent. Yeah. But seeing them just sort of split up and know it's for the best. Yeah. That's just something that... Just that, that, that feeling that everything's done there. Mm-hmm. Is that it, it's time to, to move on anyway. Yeah, and the fact that they found that level, just the perfect level, to sort of reach such a wide, wide, wide range of, of emotions. Yeah, like we said with Taika Waititi, about seeing characters at their best and at their worst. Yeah, and you see that with Toy Story. Yeah, all the time, really. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you see them at their best, having their adventures, being played with by Andy. Mm. And you also see them at the worst when they're seemingly all is lost. But what their films always manage to maintain, and it's something that's so powerful, particularly also for kids to see, is that there's always hope. Yeah. There's always something afterwards. Yeah. Something the next... to look forward to and something to move on to. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sad that they're in the Toy Story 3 because Andy has given his toys away, but he's given them to another kid. Yeah. And their job is now to make that kid happy. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't question that. Mm-hmm. They're just happy to make someone else happy. Yeah. Um, and like to like catch up to the, the broader topic of this like emotional 
so our touchstones um that like that experience can act as a way of just it can be like a really like letting go moment and understanding that that's mm. it it's very much a natural part of life like letting go um yeah. we often feel like tied to certain things and like that's in- intrinsic to our personalities or our people um as a, as a person um but usually you go through different phases in life and and you have to let go of certain things and and usually usually it's for the best um and yeah i think having that a movie made for kids that is a fun um, adventure in a in the animated world and having it also connect to adults who are watching with their kids is an amazing thing that pixar and, and uh, disney disney um do almost all the time and it's kind of a, a good example to talk back to of um, how you're talking about Star Wars and Marvel before. How, yeah, those are movies that can be got, watched by kids and loved by kids and enjoyed by kids who are going there to see Iron Man fly about. <laughs> and the animators and the CGI artists and the, the stunts are doing an incredible job all doing that. And that's part of the job and the, the filmmaking process. But you as an adult can be sitting there watching it and thinking about how Tony Stark has changed from one of the worst guys in the world to one of the best guys in the world and and seeing Captain America go through a change of becoming more selfish um yeah becoming more selfish by the end, end of his, his arc in the um, endgame um mm. and it's I think that Toy Story is a great example of just the two the big budget sort of event um enjoyable movie but that has something underneath it and I think that those especially the last two have a lot going for them in, ten, in terms of really going for their themes of like letting go and just be like growing past your prior self in a sense mm. yeah yeah it's good stuff <laughs> it is good stuff good heartbreaking stuff yeah <laughs> yeah Do you want to move you've got, one? yeah you've got another one um um i think after i think i have, I have one more left but i'll do it after okay. yours Okay, um, I want to talk about a little bit about sort of an experience that kind of proves the idea that the the art. I mean, I know people get a bit um, a bit iffy about that statement, but like, okay, the the film or the the TV show, or the game or whatever, that doesn't really change. That's always going to be the way it is, unless you get a director cut or something like that. But it's always going to be the same. But um, you as a person are constantly changing, even if you don't really notice it. Um, I think I want to kind of show a, a good example of that. It's kind of a popular film as well that people will like know. Um, so I'm going to use <laughs> Batman v Superman as an example of this. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just want—I wouldn't say that I'm emotionally like in like entirely invested in this movie as something that moves me to tears or whatever each time. It's more an experience of something that I love now that I used to hate. Um, and again, a similar thing that we talked about before, changing perspectives and how you can, how you grow up in in some ways or learn different things that you didn't know before. Um, so when I first saw that movie, I was yeah, I was 16 years old, um, and I was very excited for Civil War um, and different Marvel things, and this this movie as well. And I was very excited for it. And as that time in my life where every review is meant dictated whether a movie is good or not. It wasn't me seeing it. It was a review's bad, um, then movie's bad, or review's good, a movie is good. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter what I thought. I was trying to, I was trying to, I don't know, be part of the gang, I guess. You know, like be a part of the film culture by 
knowing what everyone thought and agreeing with them. Um, so when I saw this movie, I kind of, I half hated it and half loved it. I love the way Zack Snyder sometimes goes, goes all out for it and just the music's great and the visuals are the most important thing and how he just treats those characters. But I do think the first time I watched it, half of me was thinking, oh, but Batman kills and like there's all these different things, these different story choices that I don't agree with. And even now that I love this film, I still don't agree with all the choices. There's this whole, there's a five minute scene in this movie where we go into a possible future reality uh, we're in the desert, and I think whilst it's very impressively made, I think it's the first thing that should be cut out of that movie. And each time, I don't enjoy it because it's so. Um, really? No. I, I don't. I think it's a a great scene by itself. I think it's gr- well made, great, amazing scene. But it's like a post credit uh, scene in the middle of the movie. It's very weird to watch it in mm, the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like stuff like that, I still don't agree with wholeheartedly, but. The majority of that movie I now adore, and I I love the idea that he took a character like Superman, a character who people often think of as a pinnacle of goodness and truth and justice in the American way and all this, and he became sort of like a Boy Scout, an example of the perfect Boy Scout hero that's no longer relevant. And he's taken that character and he said, how about he's still going to be that Boy, Boy Scout character, we're not going to change him. But what we're going to do is we're going to change the world around him to what the world is now in a lot of ways. Um, so people will hate him, um, or at least at the very least um, be a bit offset by the idea that he's such, he's such a good person and kind of nervous about it. And um, I think Man of Steel handles it very well. Um, and it kind of cements him as a hero in a world that isn't isn't uh, ready for heroes. Hmm. Uh, and Batman Superman, I think, does a great job throughout three hours, <laughs> which Zack Snyder <laughs> loves his long movies. Um, <laughs> I love how they made that character so sympathetic to me. Um, and I know people have problems with him not smiling enough, which to me is a bit ridiculous considering what world he lives in. Um, <laughs> um, so everyone everyone is going against him. Everyone's, everyone, I mean, Lex Luthor, his whole plan is about proving that if God exists and he's Superman, that he cannot be all powerful and be all good. If he was all good, everything will be okay. There'll be no problems in the world. So he can't be all powerful. So if he's not all powerful, then he can't be all good. Um, it's the idea that no one can be always good. It's that it's questioning that the entire way through. Um, and Batman's a perfect example of that. He's 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 lost too many people in his life. Robin, whoever it be, that's alluded alluded to, to believe people are always going to be good. And um, it's sort of him learning to respect humanity again throughout throughout the film, and it's through the Superman character that he does that. And Superman, I th- I always think it's amazing how people say that Superman at the fight, the actual like fight that the movie's based around, um, why he doesn't just talk talk to Batman and tell him to stop fighting and that Martha's been kidnapped? And I find that amazing because I just you just watched a two-hour movie. Where Superman has no reason to be on Earth and be helping people, <laughs> everyone is everyone is just the worst. And he's been given he's been given a task by Lex Luthor, or else his mother's going to die. And he's going to this man who is so angry all the time, who hates humanity, not the Superman. He hates humanity at this point. He is so hateful and greedy and just not the person that we know Batman to be. And he tries to talk to him for a bit, and this guy's having Batman's just having none of it. He just wants to kill him. And I think 
Superman going, well, fuck it, I'm going to kill him. I'm so, I'm so done. <laughs> like, <laughs> even his mother, I mean, again, people have problems with this because it's different, but I do think it's a great, great line from his mother saying, you see, his mother and Superman are at the Clark Kent um, farm and they're all alone and he says to him, you can be their monument, be their hero, be, be whatever they need you to be. And you think, oh, that's very inspirational, something a superhero parent would usually say, like an Uncle Ben. And she says, or be none of it. Like, you don't deserve, this world has never deserved you. They never have. And I yeah. think that's that's a perfect speech that kind of encapsulates the entire, the world and how we view good people in a lot of ways now. Um, and I think that movie handles that idea beautifully the entire way through. And whether you agree with all the plot points or all the story decisions or, again, even I don't agree with the, the future setups that they're doing for future movies. Uh, the email yeah. scene, another example of, the two scenes that I don't like in that movie, in a three-hour movie, to be fair, um, <laughs> is the nightmare scene with the desert and the email scene. And it's only because it's just there to set up the sequel. It doesn't really affect the story in this movie. Um, however, again, it's a three-hour movie, and I, I love the rest of it. <laughs> but it's amazing how, yeah, you change, but the thing never, the thing you're watching or seeing or playing never changes. And it's, it's a good comparison of where you are at life and how maybe you've grown in a sense and that i think that's a pretty good example for me how, how much i think i've accepted not just going with the popular thing that everyone is saying um hmm. yeah so <laughs> i i've sort of gone from in films always sort of sighing and never being completely invested in the character who's good mm-hmm but yeah several things of recently with captain america and this version of superman yeah. Where I thought it can be, yeah, definitely. and it's brilliantly executed. And Superman in Batman with Superman is, <clears throat> I would say, it's probably the best version of Superman I've seen, or at least it's my favorite. It is my favorite too, actually. I used to properly hate him as well <laughs> um, because he's not—he's not this smug guy. Yeah. I mean, people complain that he doesn't smile enough. Yeah, like you said, what's he got to smile about? Like, yeah, and even like again. Um, yeah, in general, he doesn't smile often or be that charismatic Christopher Reeve version that we all know. And yes, I do love as well that first, those first two Superman movies that are from Richard Donner. Um, I adore those movies as well. I always go back to them like once a year and I love them. Um, but again, it's a great thing, a great, another great example of how your taste and your viewpoints don't have to be one thing. Mm-hmm. Richard, Donner, Richard Donner Superman is the opposite of Zack Snyder Superman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I, I love both. And the, two very opposite things of a character in this comic book world who was charismatic, likable, and just an amazingly romantic, lovely movie, and Zack Snyder where Batman murders and everyone kills <laughs> Superman and the world's like under a dark like tint isn't there's barely any like bright scenes <laughs> and it's just like a horrible world put these characters in. And it's I love both of them and it's kind of like a great example of you don't have to lock yourself into a box of I like this and I don't like this. You can you can jump around. It's fine. You can you can like like various things. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention it for long because I fear that you may explode. <laughs> but um, Justice League. The reason that <laughs> Superman in that feels like a bit of a betrayal is because he just comes in at the end mm-hmm. like a like a smug bastard. <laughs> just, I'm good. Look at me. I'm Superman. Yeah. I'm gonna smile. I'm basically gonna smile at the camera and wink into it, and that's why it just feels so odd. 
It does. Snyder spent all his time building up just such an excellent version of Superman to just have it U-turned. Yeah, and it doesn't feel earned in, in Justice in, uh, in Justice League. Because um, there was an interview recently, actually, with Zack Snyder, and he was talking about how the entire point of the trilogy that he was making, or originally it was going to be five movies, but now it's going to be only going to be a trilogy. Um, the original point was it was going to... They're going to start these movies with these characters at their lowest. It's the characters, people that you know and love at a place that you've never seen them before. Seen, seen them before. Um, Superman, he's in a world where everyone is hateful, greedy, horrible to him. Batman's a, a murderer who was who hates humanity in general. Um, and the entire point was that by there'll be a whole arc involved, whereby by the end of the Justice League movie, or originally I think it's going to be two part Justice League movie. Um, and you're going to see that these heroes be the people that you know they can be because you are aware of their iconography and their mythology about who they are at their best. Um, so I do think, I do, I always want to see, I, I guess, I do want to see that Superman from the Justice just, just League movie that we did get. I do want to see that. But I don't feel like that movie ever earned it, in a sense. And never got to the point where I thought, this guy, this guy now believes in humanity because he has this, these group of heroes around him that now... Um, rally after him, you know, mm. um, and I do want to see Zack Snyder do that, but in a more realistic way without a CGI mustache on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting how people love a Superman that talks about hope and humanity and all these big, long, lovely speeches about um, all these things, but don't accept Superman that actually is embodying it in a in a world where it has no reason to exist. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It's also ironic how in the film Superman's hated and mm. people have disliked this one more than yeah. <laughs> yeah. perhaps any of, the, any of the others. But that being said, this version of Superman does have a good number of supporters. People like Henry Cavill as Superman. Oh yeah, he's definitely coming back at some point. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So I've... <laughs> Sorry? That was a big one. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So I've, I've got one more. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, it's sort of a little one. Mm-hmm. It's a very personal film to me. It's a film called Where the Wild Things Are. Ah, right, yeah. It's uh, directed by Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also got a little, there's like one scene with Mark Ruffalo in it, which is sod, because <laughs> he's just in for one scene. I haven't seen this movie, by the way. Yeah. You haven't? No, I'm trying to. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's I recommend it enough, and it's just about a boy that runs away and sails away, and he ends up on an island full of big bear-like creatures with massive heads. <laughs> yeah. And again, like like we've said before, with Taika Waititi, it's about seeing people at their best and their worst. And I don't know if it's the way it was intended, but I've always, um, me and my mum, have always watched this and wondered what it means. Right, okay. And it's a film that I think can be very personal personal because it's about thinking about what it means to you. Mm-hmm. Like the way I always interpret it is that and it's very open. I mean, I, I'll try my best not to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just about these these different sort of creatures that he finds are representations of parts of him. Mm, okay. 
and parts of his his character and how he can't let any of them sort of um fall the way or run run off with him and he can't he can't give in to any of them. Yeah. But at the same time he can't lose all of them. He needs all of them. Right. He needs all of them to be who he is. Okay. And needs to accept all these parts of him rather than just letting the angry one run wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just really personal because he just you like the the characters. Mm-hmm. They all they all whether it be because they're they're amusing or because they have relatable goals or relatable struggles. Mm-hmm. You just like them and you like the camaraderie that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very charismatic. And when when the time comes to leave them, you don't want to want to stay with them because it's all happy but you have to go back to reality yeah that's often yeah it's a very special film to me i watch it quite often yeah when i say often maybe once a year yeah which is I think fairly often. that we go back to often like once a year like a, a time we set for it you know mm. we all have that movie <laughs> yeah i think we do and with yeah. that i'm uh i'm done that's me oh okay it's my list complete. Uh, I've got quite a few here, but I think I'll just do one last one and be very short because it's, I think it's more of a kind of a, a kind of an example of a movie that I don't think is necessarily the best movie ever made, but I do love it and watch it more than once a year. <laughs> um, uh, Mamma Mia. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Mamma Mia, you mentioned it. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh uh, beautiful. It, it's, a, it's a great film. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, okay, so this movie, it is, it's not particularly an amazingly well shot or choreographed or even written movie. It's kind of, honestly, it's kind of all over the place in a sense. It's just people on an island. And the plot is uh, a girl has invited her three possible fathers to her wedding and she's going to try to find out which one's which. Now, this this plot point is, it's, it barely ties everyone together. <laughs> It just barely works, and the movie is mostly about these people on an island on in Greece having just a great time singing other songs, enjoying themselves. Yeah, just enjoying themselves, and it's one of those. It's one of those movies where you look at it, everyone on this set or on this island has so much fun, and it's one of those I often come back to whenever I want to like just have like, a good time. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it's it's a great film in the sense that I no matter how old I am, no matter. I might be 55 years old and I will put on this movie and I will instantly be taken back to when I was 16 years old and watching this for the first time and like just loving it for no reason. <laughs> it's just the enthusiasm, um, it's just infectious. Yeah. It's um, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's a very movie, isn't it? <laughs> um, and I think um, it's, it's a special movie because it's like, I, you can't really. I couldn't explain to you why it's good. <laughs> I really couldn't. No, I can't. Uh, it's just a good movie. <laughs> you just you and, uh, watch it and you think, yeah, I yeah. want to be there. I want to be with these people. These people seem fun. Yeah, these people seem good. <laughs> and I think that that's probably most simplified by like the the final scene of the sequel, mm-hmm. where for no reason, just everybody's there. Characters that are dead have reappeared. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're just singing. Yeah. Why is this scene here? I will tell you why. Because we're having fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. So like 
the second the second movie, I guess spoiler alert, is like Meryl Streep's character has died off screen, and the entire story is about her as a young person compared to her daughter, and it's a surprisingly like quite a, like a, an emotional movie, and um and I do think it's great how but it never loses that sense of just out there fun of like the ending is Meryl Streep is back on the island, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I think it's a great it's a great example of a movie that I will always come back to as like a, a personal tie to something um and i think i had a really good example and i can't remember who from like someone on, on the internet and it was um an example of you talk i think you're talking about the martin scorsese thing about uh, cinema not being uh theme park rides or something like that and you're talking about how maybe it's because marty what marty <laughs> martin scorsese went to cinema to see with his parents to see gangster, gangster movies or something like that and he was built on the idea that those were the theatre experience, and and then when he saw so when he sees something when he sees when he sees something like a Marvel movie, he can't relate it to his childhood and how he how he grew up and how he was connect, connected to these ideas and these characters. Um, so I think is quite a good example in the sense that I am connected to Mamiya for no reason at all, and I will always love it. <laughs> um, exactly, same with me. It's yeah. just you can't necessarily explain why you connect to these things. Mm-hmm. They just hit yeah. you. Yeah, and like again, it's different for everyone. Like Marcus Kazowski says, it says something's not something when to someone else could be. It could be. It could be cinema, the pinnacle of cinema, whereas someone else could say it's not. Um, and I think and the example this guy used was the idea that when he was a kid and he saw these big budget superhero, uh, Star Wars, whatever it was, movies, he would watch it with his dad. And then when he's twenty years later, when he's talking now, his dad has since then passed away. But whenever he goes to see a superhero movie, he thinks that. It's a it's a way of coming back to that to that feeling of going to cinema with your parents and watching a film, or going to cinema mm-hmm. with your friends and watching a film. It's yeah. that feeling that you 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 specifically can only get, um, and and some people don't have that. In a some people have that with different movies or different experiences, and it's um it's interesting to say that one thing's not something when it can be for someone else completely, um. So I think Mami is a good example of something that I don't think anyone that studies films or whatever could ever call it. <laughs> but I would always call it a masterpiece. <laughs> I know. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Because of emotion, because that just sort of comes over everything. Yeah. And it does. Emotion, an emotional connection and an emotional investment in a film can, can transcend structure or what you think something needs to have. Yeah, definitely. It can just it's, take over, and as long as you feel it, you enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of books out there and articles and whatever about how to structure your movie and how to explicit your movie and how to get your characters right. Um, and it's a rule book. And But these rule books are kind of... They're, they're kind of guidelines of how it usually works and how it usually works at its best. Um, and yes, it's, it's usually wise to follow these rules, but overall, all you're trying to communicate is an emotional experience. Um, whether that be an exceeding amount of happiness in Mamma Mia or like a depressing reality of Jojo Rabbit, you're just trying to get across an emotional experience and like you, your voice can do wonders. Like a book can tell you how to structure your movie, but your voice is it's just, it's unique to yourself no matter who you are, whether you're a nurse or, or not even someone interested in film, you have a voice and it is, it has something unique to it. And that is what the overriding point of film is to get that point mm. across and an emotional connection to other people through how you view it um yeah amen yeah. <laughs> amen to that 
Yeah, man. What a good, what a good speech. That was great. I think that's all I've got, really. Yeah, we we, we could always revisit this topic a bit later. Oh yeah, definitely. Another another week, maybe. Do you want to do the outro? Uh, we. I'll let you do it. You, you gave us the intro. You guide us in. You can guide us out. <laughs> okay. So okay. So this has been the Marvelous Enough podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you can, uh, please follow us on Instagram at Marvelous Cinema Podcast and Twitter at Marvelous Cinema Podcast again. <laughs> uh, yeah, currently we're posting like MCU reviews. So we're going through the entire MCU and giving star ratings. Um, and below that, in the description, we're giving a full sort of written review. So you can, if you want to, we can get our, our full thoughts on the, on the films. Um, yeah, um, I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> I've been your co-host, Henry, and this has been... I've been your other co-host, Matthew. (laughs) And, yeah, I hope to see you again. Uh, Goodbye. Bye. Bye.